Hey there, Theriologists. This time, I have a bonus episode for you. Many of you are restricted to home, and the short radius of permissible travel, from outside of the house, thereof. Just trying to maintain as much normalcy for yourself and your families as possible. Conversely, many of you are out there doing what you do. And doing it well, keeping the daily essentials of life moving along without a hitch, at least as much as is humanly possible. Whichever camp you find yourself, know that I appreciate very much the fact that through all of this, you have taken time to listen to this little podcast. And because of that, and how much you mean to me as listeners... When N.K. approached me a little more than a a week ago, suggesting that we record and take a moment to change the subject a bit, well, I jumped at the chance. For those of you long-time listeners, you know that N.K. is a very special previous guest on the show, and now friend of the show, and she has become a very dear and wonderful personal friend to me as well. So when she suggested that we record, I jumped at the chance to set aside the stress of the day and spend a bit of time catching up with a wonderful person. So, with that, I am very pleased to introduce, for this bonus episode of Conspiracy Theoryology, a special event we call Quarantine Quiet Time with N.K. and Ryan. gentle with ourselves we're both we're both tired and we've we've been through some harrowing times so let's just have a a a cool candid conversation about what's going on with us maybe maybe a little bit about what's going on with the world not too much you know people are already inundated with that and then we'll go over some of our uh listener questions which i think will be quite entertaining for both of us i i agree i think that's i think that's excellent um i think people are going to appreciate uh, some of this, just just perspectives and fun questions. And you know what? Just appreciating the fact that they're getting to interact with something and it's a chance to, I don't know, I guess do something other than talk to themselves and talk to their kids and talk to their pets. Um, right. But, uh, you know, this is, this is motivated. And, and by the way, thank you very much for suggesting we do this. I hadn't thought about this much. And... Um, I know that you worked on something and, you know, you put, you contributed to something very similar that was done on the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Yeah. And, and the, for people that don't know, Ryan Sprague is the host of Somewhere in the Skies and it's largely a, a, uh, a, I'd say UFO podcast, although that's kind of limiting, uh, in its, in a description, but Ryan is very great about doing stuff like that, that, and he reached out to a lot of people and he had them put something together, just what they were doing and what they were up to during this various levels of stay at home and quarantine and lockdown that everybody's experiencing. Um, and I, I, I don't want us to necessarily repeat the whole story because I'd like for them to go over there and listen to that. I think that would be an enjoyable, uh, a, an enjoyable show for people to listen to. Uh, but he definitely made the right decision to wrap up the episode 
with your story. And um, uh, it was it was a great perspective and it was a great story. And I mentioned to you that it made me introspective. Um, And when you recommended doing this, I thought, well, that would be fun. That's a great idea. Now there's a value to this and to this right now, uh, because I realized that uh, this whole event, I have been I, I am knee deep in the war on covid so my day job is tied precisely to pandemic response um it is tied to a program like this we're working on this like a lot of people whether it's front lines or it's behind the scenes for the long-term approach uh it's just part of that machine that's working on uh options for diagnosis and for therapeutics and for uh um vaccine and and development and treatments and and any number of things so you know when this when this went down um we had to run into the fire so to speak and so i haven't stopped work has been work uh and uh and then at home because the uh the kids we'd already started homeschooling the kids actually this this semester we'd made that decision they weren't suddenly pulled out of school. We had already gone through that, uh, and the family's home. And so I had not, I realized that I hadn't felt any difference. I haven't had any of these effects from this event. Like, it hasn't changed my schedule at all. And, I, and, I, and of course, doing what I am doing with the, with the podcast, just the way I think about things, I've dumped in and analyzed and thought about, the different aspects of, of what's happening with society, what's happening politically, what's happening um, scientifically. But it's I guess it's all been at this 10,000-foot perspective because it really didn't, it didn't do anything. Um, I, didn't, I am not doing anything different. And then when I heard your story, uh, and, and of course, your, your, your daughter is a key character of the story, and, and that whenever I, I hear stories with kids, it just, it starts to melt me. But, um, it, I realized, oh my goodness, this, this is something different. This is, this is big. This is affecting lives. It's not just touching lives. It's grabbing them and throwing them across the room, sort of touching lives. Uh, and, and so, when I'm hearing all these stories about what people are doing and seeing social media posts, um, where people are going stir crazy or just trying to find levity in the whole situation, it makes so much more sense now. Um, and all of a sudden, the uh, us sitting down and, and doing a fun Q&A, off-the-cuff, uh, quiet quarantine time, uh, just <laughs> uh, just suddenly had so much more value and, and seemed so much more important uh, to the influence than, than just here'd be some fun content for my podcast. No, now it's, here's some valuable, here's a valuable resource for people that, that listen. And, uh, uh, so anyway, so that's, that's the long story to my reaction to your story uh, that you shared on somewhere in the sky. So, uh, anyway, um, thank you again, but yeah, to, so, yes. uh, to, cap, to cap that off before we uh, move on is that, that Ryan Sprague did reach out about, you know, how is this affecting your life? And, um, you know, it was a great opportunity for me to, to say like, oh, my job and oh, my book and oh, these podcasts and all oh, this movie. And I, I was like, no, I, I deeply appreciate 
the way that crisis can bring people together, the way that we can just support each other uh, through humanity, through strangers coming together. You know, that that's the name of my book is Perfect Strangers and that my uh, experiencers come to me just with an immense amount of trust to share these these things in their life. And, you know, we just we don't know each other at all, but we have that one simple connection. So I, I did tell a story, um, which is very rare for me to share one of my experiences on air. Um, I don't do that. I do it very privately with my uh, preservation candidates. So it was a really special story. Um, I wanted it to be to be genuine. So I was like, look, we're going to record this. We're going to do it in one shot. It's just going to be like me telling it as, as I would over a cup of coffee. And, um, you know, Ryan Sprague also works in theater. So the fact that I was not only given the the final spot in his podcast it's it's called the curtain it's what people remember when they leave the podcast it, it was deeply touching so i i encourage y'all to go over and listen to it um i think it was called journeys through covid19 but it's over on his page somewhere in the skies and thank you thank you for your feedback as always ryan you give me such good constructive feedback well it, it because it merits it but uh and and all of y'all listening i'm I'm being ambiguous about the topic just so that you can go listen to the story. It's valuable. One, it supports another podcast. Um, and two, it's a story to hear. And it, along with, I, I think at least, um, 10, maybe a dozen other people, uh, talking about it and hearing some perspectives, largely podcasters, uh, people in, in, uh, other arts, uh, as well. But, um, it's just a real story. It's an, an experience of, that her and her daughter had and um no and and that's the thing about it it's such a it's almost a I, not a non-story it's it's just a story it's just an event uh and that that y'all had of getting through this time um that actually says that tells a lot uh and 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 that's the key and so anyway everybody go listen to it that's great that's that's yes we don't have to push it anymore and uh, and you know what I'll do that I'll put a link to it in the show notes it'll be oh. there you go then you just click through it'll be great and um, uh, absolutely Ryan and I are doing this off the cuff I've had about two hours sleep he looks like he's had less I think <laughs> we're both just on a bunch of coffee um, and we're we're happy to have you guys with us for this conversation so I reached out to a bunch of uh, my friends just asking if they had any questions about the show and they're like well what's the topic and I'm like you know what whatever you want just throw it out there. And oh boy, did you guys deliver. So uh, Ryan, who is one of one of the smartest people I know, and I are going to kind of attempt to wade through these questions, maybe give a little bit of perspective. Maybe we'll just say, you know what, that's the darndest thing and we don't know. But uh, let's let's take a brief break from the COVID virus and let's dive into a subject that Ryan and I have talked about before. Uh, a question from Samantha, who already has a, a two-year-old son and she's about to have another baby. She said, what's the best part of being a parent and what is the hardest part? Oh, wow. That's a good one. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Take your time. Breathe it out. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, I, of course, this is, this is, there's going to be a different perspective from every parent. Yeah. Um, and it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of categorizing, right? It's not whether... You're talking to one child parents or seven children parents. Um, it's, it's quality, not quantity, I guess is the point there. Um, the experience is different with everyone. Uh, for me, we have a we have a child that's special needs. Um, at least 
at least that's how he's been identified early on. And we've discovered this new thing. We're on a continuous journey of discovery. And so um, the hardest part in parenting in that is that it's a challenge. It, it doesn't fit. It never fits the um, defined expectations that, that we have as parents. Um, it's never, the responses are never normal. The, what a, what a kid should do at such and such an age or what you should be able to expect or what discipline should work and what positive approach should work and all of the other textbook stylings for parenting advice, uh, we tossed out the window just, and, and it, and, and so it gets infuriating and it gets frustrating and, uh, and that's, and it's a challenge daily. But then, then when I am, ready to defenestrate my child. <laughs> Good word. Uh, and uh, um, a word which I would I, I tend to want to use more than anybody should because of my son. Uh, and then, of course, my daughter is amazing, and, and it's fun watching her grow up, other than I have a preteen now, and so that's, that's an experience. But um, she still loves her daddy right now. Then, you know, eventually that will change. Eventually I will stop being the most amazing man in the universe and she'll figure out that I'm just a guy and I don't know what I'm talking about and I don't relate and and I'm trying my darndest but I just don't get it I don't get anything dad that's that's eventually what I'll hear and I know it and I'm ready for it but I'm enjoying all that going on but it's those little moments for me as a parent when um, something does work and something does click and and we have those uh, amazing moments that fall together whether you call it quality time or, or special moment or just um, those little connections that, that you have as a parent that uh, when it's all worthwhile, you know, they where it's just it just makes it all worthwhile. And you know that it's going to turn out OK and they're going to turn out OK. And um, and you're not doing that bad of a job as a parent. Well said. And I know you recommended a book to me. It was called um, Your Your Boys Can Swim, I believe. <laughs> Don't spit out the coffee on the microphone. That's bad. <laughs> yes. Yes. My, your Boys Can Swim. That was a, a, a pre-delivery book that I read. And uh, as I refer to it, it's, a, it's, it's the bathroom reader that every guy needs um, when they're expecting. Um, there's probably another one there. Actually, it's still sitting here because I dug through once we were talking about that. But it's it's called Pregnancy Sucks for Men. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, of course, it's it's tongue in cheek, but it's it's knowing that, look, here's here's what here's what your your wife is going to be going through. Here's what you as a couple is going to be going through. Um, and uh, and so here's what you can do to make that a bit easier. Um, don't assume you know anything about what's going on and what's happening or that you understand or can relate just to do your job is, yeah. is effectively the lesson there. Um, and I think every, every guy that's fortunate enough to, to be a dad um, is, and, and, and embrace and appreciate that does struggle with that. Right. That's, I think that's the toughest part is, they want to be supportive. They want to be uh, protective. They just want to provide. Just let me fix it for you. <laughs> just let me fix it. And that's not the that's not the answer all of the time. And so then we go f try and fix something else just so we can 
we can resolve that mental tick that's going on in our heads. Yeah. Um, but at least from at least from a guy's perspective, that's the the plus and minus of a of parenting. Uh, I have I have one daughter who's five, and um, I, I I truly do treasure her. She she is my most precious treasure. I think that I'm gonna be just a, a one child type of person because of not only uh, life situations, but also you know my health is not the greatest. So instead of kind of mourning the fact that I you know I wanted to have more children and I didn't want her to be an only child, I'm trying to embrace that and kind of embrace every stage as I go through it because I know that um, that's not going to happen again. So it's uh, it's given me a lot of perspective. It's it's caused me to slow down. It's you know, mommy, can we please read one more book? Mommy, can can you know, can we cuddle a bit longer? Like, will you, will you please walk me into school today? Like, you know, I'm tired and I'm cranky and my back hurts. But like, of course I will. Like, I I want to nourish her that way. Um, for me, the best part of parenting was uh, her experiences and her worldview and just the way that she saw things which was uh, kids are my favorite to interview. They give incredible interviews. And it's, um, it's very similar to when I talked to a 911 dispatcher. And she said, nine times out of 10, I would rather take a call from a kid than an adult. And I said, that, that doesn't make any sense. That seems like it would be a scary, disorganized situation. And she said, no. She said, children will tell you exactly what's happening, what they need, and what's going on. She's like, you know, adults will hem and haw and they'll be like, well, you know, my husband's had some chest pains and I'm just, I'm not really sure I wanted to call just in case, like, you know, and, you know, they're trying to find out, like, is he breathing? Is he doing, like, kids will answer your question, like, is mommy breathing? Yes. Is she awake? Can you wake her up? Is she talking? No, she's not talking. Do you need someone to come help you? Yes, I need help right now. So, uh, just, just that, that beautiful, no filter experience of young children is just, I, I love it so much and I, I appreciate it. Like, um, I know I posted a while ago that my daughter just has a hilariously adult vernacular because of me and the way I talk and the way I talk to her. But sometimes she has those uh, toddler preschool snafus, which are hysterical. And one day she looks at me just very seriously and she goes, Mom, I'm like, yes, sweetie. Sometimes I dream about blood and horse. And, you know, just drinking coffee. And I'm just like, what? She's like, I dream about blood and whores. I was like, kid. Can you tell me what a whore is? Can we back up for a second? Like, what do you think that a whore is? <laughs> and she's like, you know, with um, skeletons and people shrieking. And I'm like, do you mean horrors? And she's like, that's what I said. <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> Mom, that's what I said. <laughs> I think that the most difficult part about it that, that I struggled with was um, learning how to let your kid make mistakes. And for me, I leaned on that book, uh, Parenting with Love and Logic, and it teaches you how to, to stop being the bad guy and teach your kid, you know, there are logical consequences to your actions that, you know, you're free to make whatever choice you want, but you're not free of, you know, the consequences of that choice. So I, I really valued that book. And, you know, it's it's extremely difficult at first because you're trying to be patient, you know. Uh, for us, like a big thing is getting ready for bed. Like getting ready for bed is just a war zone in my house, and I don't know why. <laughs> I've tried every schedule and and everything else, no. but um, she she's come to figure out that the longer she takes to to finish up with TV or to finish up with brushing her teeth or whatever, I'm like, you know, you're taking away from that bedtime sharing thing that we have where we where we pick out books and we read and mommy snuggles you you know you still have a bedtime and you're using up those minutes doing other things so gradually she's kind of gotten a hold of it but i would say that that's the most difficult part is 
letting your kid make mistakes and learn from consequences. Perfect example, Ryan. Uh, my daughter saw a duck at the park, okay. Okay. and we were walking around. And I don't know what came over her, but she just really wanted to pet this duck. It was in her sights. And I'm like, sweetheart, please leave the duck alone. It does not appreciate you chasing it around. And she goes, Mom, it's okay. Ducks don't bite. (laughs) And I was just like, you know what? I love you. I think I'm going to let you figure this one out on your own, kiddo. And luckily for her, the duck, like, dove into a canal and she didn't get bit. But I I have a feeling that if she would have tried to hug that duck, she probably would have gotten a a good lesson that day. (laughs) And as funny as it is, you know, it's... It's these things that will roll over into life. It's a lot easier to learn when you're young that, you know, it, you have these consequences and that, you know, if you don't do things and you're not going to get certain privileges or certain money. And, um, yeah, so definitely teaching her the scientific method. You know, what does that door do? It says push or pull. Can you figure it out? Can you do it for mom? And I get judged by so many other moms. Like, you're so mean to your daughter. Why don't you just help her? I'm like, no, I'm not being mean to her. I'm trying to teach her how to human <laughs> right right um it, that's you know that's the biggest challenge and again so for us that's when i said i it i've had to toss this mental handbook out the window um so my son he was years and years ago he was diagnosed on the spectrum on the yeah. autism spectrum and uh that made perfect sense at the time uh but as we've been progressing through and, and the problem with, with autism is that it's it's a diagnosis and it's an ambiguous diagnosis in that. It's just a, a category. It's it's up there with saying that your child is left-handed or yeah. right-handed. You know, it, it, it's just something that you're expected to have to live with and address through behavioral therapies and coping mechanisms and the like um, and some lifetime level of medication. Uh, but... New things have surfaced over the years, and, and uh, that's been a challenge for us as as parents is is saying, okay, well, what can, what are what are new approaches and new perspectives, and what we can what can we do, and then at what point do we need to just move forward with something to say, he, you know, here's how he's uh, developing, here's how he's going to grow, and here's the direction we're going to take, and we're going to stop trying to figure out what is happening and just move forward with, with, um, how we can make that work, you know, as him, you know, sometimes there is no why there's just what is. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that's been discovered fairly recently, um, is, is something called PANS, which is pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome. Yes. Uh, and it's related to another one called pandas, which the difference between the two is pandas is tied to um, uh, a bacterial infection, and pans is not. Uh, but uh, it his pans is also tied to a biotoxic uh, a biotoxic syndrome, mold a mold disease that has affected the whole family. So, you know, you were talking about that that learning that. You know, sometimes you have to let them touch the hot stove. Sometimes you have to let them figure out that ducks still bite even though they don't have teeth. Um, and uh, which I'm now very curious to see what a to hear what a duck bite feels like. Uh, it might feel like blood and horrors. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man, yes. The the nightmares, the horrors that that would bring to your dreams. Um, but um, uh, no. So that that little process that mechanism of learning from an experience 
right, of making a mistake and learning from an experience is out the window when there's a neurological flare-up. Like, even if he knows, even if there has been a prior experience, here's a cause, here's an effect, and here's a consequence to whatever action is taken, that's completely out the window. And, um, and so when those happen, of course, I have a dad reaction. I want to get mad. I, I want to just, what are you doing? Today, my front porch was strung up in a spider web of multicolored yarn that he got a hold of because he was going to make a lean-to uh, in the rain that he could sit under. He's a fan of survival shows and had managed to pull off a bunch of palm leaves from a sago palm in the front yard, just breaking off the leaves. Just do, do, do. They'll grow back. They'll be fine. <clears throat> and so <laughs> right off the top, just do, do, do. And he had these all stacked up. And I got out there and I was like, no, th- no, this, is, this isn't this is going to work. And where did those palm leaves come from? And once he realized that I was not cool with what happened, then it clicked with him that nothing, you know, he hadn't thought through any of the process. Uh, and so it was just, oh my goodness. Um, and it turned into a, a flare up and upset and, and we had to work through that. You know, we had to, uh, we had to kind of go over what that, um, what that meant, <laughs> why it couldn't be done in the future. And I'm hoping it will stick, but I have no clue. I have no clue if it'll, if it'll affect the next time. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, Ryan, um, is one of my grounding people. Ryan is always willing to talk or, you know, try to try to help me evaluate situations, which is an immensely valuable thing to have in a colleague. Um, I, I'm really glad to hear that your son has you. And it kind of takes me back to, you know, you're, you're my most precious treasure. You know, you're my child. You're my most precious treasure. And at the same time, you make me very envious of other animals that can eat their young. <laughs> yes. Yes. Succinctly put, that that says it all. Um, yeah, you, that's parenting. Would you like to move on to our next submitted question? <laughs> let's try it. Yes, let's see. Okay. So I, I don't um, know that that answered anything, but yes, we will try to uh, to do it again. Yay, coffee. Yay, we're doing yes. it. This is from Michael Rideout, and he wanted to ask about red orbs and orange orbs and whether or not they uh, they kind of they correlate with the UFO phenomena. Not all the time, but they do in a lot of experience or sightings. Um, and especially with, uh, you know, if you've read the Skinwalker Ranch book, the the orb that took the dogs out into the woods and then basically liquefied them. Um, he's wondering if they protect people and watch over people, like some people have said, or if they're more devious and they're uh, kind of leading people astray. Um, that there's a huge scope to this question. I mean, it, it's everything from the phenomena to the fade to paranormal. Right. Exactly. And why don't, you know, you can tackle that first. There's, I've got a, a very recent story about orbs uh, that was very interesting um, where I took someone through their first <sighs> UFO investigation, effectively. Um, and it was, uh, and it, it, it proved to be, uh, we proved, we were able to identify it in this case. But then we talked through the value of the investigation and work through kind of the disappointment as to what it was. Um, and, ex- and I explained then later the, how that actually helps uh, the discussion and the community and, and, and us trying to understand these things in greater, you know, to a greater level. Yeah. Uh, 
but um but yeah do you that's it is a it's a big broad brush brush stroke of a question mm-hmm. um and you probably have some more experience with or i should say familiarity with experiences uh and people's thoughts and perspectives because i mean that's ultimately to some degree with the answers that they to me what's interesting is how people feel about them and what they do think that they are um yeah you know how do you take something as simple as an orb that you see in the sky in a house um in a field and interpret it yeah especially um and there's no like this is just one of those things it's where you know you try to you try to categorize that phenomena and you just you can't you can't cram it in a box no matter how hard you try i've had people tell me that um red orbs especially that means that they're hunting that they're trying to seek out malicious entities and protect and i've had another story where a red orb actually um chased a kid like chased him wanted to hurt him uh he felt the heat coming from it, you know, basically running from his life. He was terrified. And then other people, uh, especially the orange orb phenomena, that that's a big synchronicity with um, seeing UFOs or having some kind of experience. Um, whenever we talk to paranormal experiencers, their orbs tend to be white or clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a great orb story, and it's it's not mine, but it's called Damn Period Black Period damn black and it was a story about um a young preteen and he had lost his father in the previous weeks and him and his mother had come to the conclusion that they were going to have to sell the house and move back home in order to survive and be able to continue going to school and working so he was laying in his bed one night and he said an orb appeared to him and he was not asleep he was awake and the orb said i'm sending someone to protect you and he said it was in his father's voice. And he's like, well, what do you mean? What do I need to be protected from? And then in another voice that he said chilled him down to the bone, it said, damn, black. So he said he never saw it again after that. But fast forward to him and his mom, you know, they've moved to another state. They're they're getting settled. And they were on a property that was a huge farm property. And they shared it with two other neighbors, but the houses were very far apart. And one of the neighbors had um, a cat that was very old, and he said that it was one of his one of his joys to be able to walk to the bus, and the cat would kind of chase after him and meow, and he'd get to play with the cat. So one night, he said he was laying in bed, and he heard his dog coughing. And he said his dog had some kind of respiratory illness where he has to take medication at night to soothe his throat so that he can breathe and go to sleep. So he heard the dog coughing. He got up and went down into the kitchen, and he couldn't find the dog. And he looks over, and the kitchen door is wide open. So he's freaked out. He immediately puts his shoes and his coat on, and he runs outside, and he's looking for his dog, and he's calling, calling, calling. And all he has is, like, the light from his cell phone. And before he knows it, you know, he's almost 50 yards away from the house, going down the dirt road, calling for the dog. And he stopped, and he saw, he said, what looked like a coyote. But it wasn't a regular coyote. It was like something that had gotten hit by a car a month ago, reanimated coyote. Mm-hmm. And he said the most horrifying part of it was that the jaw was dislocated. And it's just coming for him and coming for him and coming for him. And he's he doesn't know what to do. He's shocked. The neighbor's cat ran up and stood in front of him. He's like, and this little cat that's not even the size of a house cat, smaller than that, just started hissing and growling and would not give up ground. And this thing that had been approaching steadily stopped. 
and it was kind of going back and forth and it, it started pacing in the, in the animal type way where they get frustrated and they're trying to find a way in. And he said, no matter how much he tried to pick up the cat, no matter how much he tried to run away, like it would just not give up ground. So finally, this thing looks at them and it stands up on its back paws and it says, damn, black. And it took off running faster than any coyote ever should on two legs. So the, uh, the ending of this story is really sweet where he said, you know, every time after that, he made sure that the cat always had a can of food. And he said, you know, thinking back when I finally was able to run back to the farmhouse on his way back to his room, the dog was asleep on his mom's bed. So something had come in, had learned the sound of the dog coughing, had left the door open and was trying to lure him outside. And my favorite part of this story is that the little cat's name was Halloween and she was a black cat. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, there's so many, of course, those of us that, that, that pay attention to these stories. One, I'm glad he's okay. And then that's, that's phenomenal. I, there's so many, there's so much of that story that's familiar, right? The luring, um, and, uh, and then the presence and the positioning that the guard cat, um, is phenomenal. And that's just odd enough, you know, those of us that own cats, that's, makes it makes it the the oddest part of the whole story um the but the i guess the weird thing is this pet cemetery dog right this 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 demon dog aspect of it it doesn't fit with so much of the other dog lore mm -hmm. that's out there the the black dog stories or or uh even um uh skinwalkers or shapeshifters or or, or even just something to the effect of a of a ghost, but uh, that's just interesting, and and to um, and to have had that that I guess forewarning, or it's not even a forewarning; it's a prom. It was a promise, right? I it was a promise made. Yeah, yeah um, that 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 is said almost in 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 present it is said in present tense i'm i sent someone to protect you uh it, that it's almost a message that it's a statement that's told at the same time right so many ah such a wonderful that's a wonderful story that's a had to be a, a scary experience um but uh I, it, wow and um you know that's that's i guess that's the interesting that goes into it is is something Anytime you have a conversation about orbs, because orbs are just just that, they're nothing more than than a, a ball of light, uh, a glare of light in, in your vision from a distance, typically, uh, though, like you said, the paranormal experience on orbs are um, are obviously much closer. They're usually experienced in homes or in specific spaces. Um and and they're telling a very different story in terms of those experiences and those those uh, at times whether it's an investigation or just a personal experience. Yeah. But um, you know they they seem to always be associated with something else, right? The real the real story, the real experience is is lies somewhere else with that, uh, and and that's that's fascinating. I mean. Yeah, you know, well, my my story is much more, um, uh, I should say, not mundane. It was it was a, an interesting story, an old uh, a 
now old friend of mine. He's I've known him for years. He's a he, we used to be neighbors, and uh, recently on the uh, Conspiracy Theology podcast Facebook page, um, I I posted an article about some orbs, triangular shaped orbs that were seen over Washington State and El Paso recently. Yeah. Uh, so very much in the context of UFO sightings, and I, you know, was just curious that similar events in two that occurred close together in time, but very far apart uh, ge- geographically, uh, and had caught the attention of of local news. But um, of course, that's that's usually it. You know, when it comes to news catching these things, uh, but they were it was video captured by by people that have witnessed it. Um, and and so in response to this, my friend, he, he, he contacted me and said, wow, you know, um, it's really interesting that you posted that. I'm fascinated about it because uh, I think I saw those same things back in January of 2019. Uh, and, and I was like, you're kidding me. And he said, yeah, I've got video. I've got, I've got a, a, some photos and video of it over, you know, the span of, of 30 minutes or 40 minutes or something like that. I said, wow, I, it's phenomenal. I'd love to see it. You know, I'm fascinating. And, of course, I wanted to talk to him about what he, the context of, of what uh, what he was doing. He was hanging out in his front yard or backyard. And, and um, knowing him, he's a level-headed guy. He's a volunteer fireman. You know, it's just he's he was he's been thinking about this now for a year. And he sent me the video. And it was. It was these triangular red orbs in a triangular pattern. They were strobing. And uh, he saw them. They were kind of off to the side of the frame and, and moving around. And I said, that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, and then he said, but I didn't see them um, with the naked eye. I was, I, they, the, they were captured through the camera. And I said, well, okay, well, how did you, uh, I, I said, why don't we take this through um, an, an investigation? I said, if you were to report this to something like MUFON or, or another organization investigating them, so they'd walk you through and ask you some questions, uh, and you've clearly been curious about it for a while. So what, what was the, um, you know, what happened with this, and what was the night like, and you know, how did it, how did you feel, how did, how did the, the night feel, you know? And he said, well, it was just a regular night. It was actually a lunar eclipse occurring, and he was watching it, and he wanted to get a good sight on it, and so he didn't have a telescope, uh, but he w- he could see the moon. Uh, very well through a rifle scope and uh and so then he was trying to use his phone to through the scope to capture uh to capture the this lunar eclipse and so he uh, he was holding his phone and i think he you know he was trying to hold it up to the scope and even flipped it around because the rear camera didn't do as well so he doesn't even see what the camera is seeing and when he watched the video back is when these these orbs appeared and I said, okay, what um, my first question is, I have to go through and I'm thinking through all of the stuff that someone immediately would try to debunk it for. And because um, these look exactly like the, the, the orbs from these, these news, this news report, these recent sightings. Yeah. Um, and I said, okay, what, what have you got on your scope? Does it have one of those red dot sightings on it? Uh, I even asked other people. Uh, do those do any of these rifle scopes? I'm not I'm not a, a shooting enthusiast by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, he, um, I said, do they any of them have these like 
tri dot three dot sightings or something inside them you know something like the predator yeah exactly you know? <laughs> that's what you're thinking right and that's what i was thinking is the only thing this looks like is the predator sightings and um which would be cool but they said no 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 that's that's those aren't rifle scopes don't do that okay okay great and he said no this isn't a red dot lens but he's thinking through it and he said you know what this does have a the lens it has a self-illumination inside it that just captures ambient light and um enhances it and uses it and so i said well i don't know that that would cause that effect but he said well let me go try it again and so after a year of having this video and wondering what this thing was yeah um you know having him just thinking about how what does this mean what is he captured what has he seen um yeah he took another video and they appeared again on there and it was it was just that it was that the lights were strobing because uh. the camera was capturing through this i guess reflecting off of this this self illuminating aspect on this scope and creating this really unique effect of three three uh three orbs in a triangular formation kind of moving across the screen and strobing and of course he was disappointed and I said, don't be. I Do not be disappointed with that. I, one, this was your first UFO investigation, and that's precisely what it was. You had yeah. an unidentified object that you caught on a recording, and you've been wondering what it was. And I said, what's interesting about this, what's valuable to this, is not, is not that we proved it wrong, and ergo, every triangular orb pattern out there is now wrong, <laughs> is is no, what you captured had an effect, a very specific effect that we were able to recreate. You had strobing uh, orbs that moved in a specific pattern at a specific speed, and we now know the cause of that. What that says is those other videos that did not have the same strobing effect did not move like that and were not under those conditions. They were straight through the camera lenses, not through some other sighting scope or, or uh, you know, telescope or, or uh, glass eye or anything of that nature those can't be explained in this using this this exp- explanation so therefore right. we've eliminated a a mundane explanation and added to the the mystery of these these reports that have come out of the recently that were on wow. this news article and um, I said, what's more important is that your perspective on them, you didn't immediately record it and um, dismiss it for yourself. You know, you, you found it fascinating. You wanted to know more. You were interested in what's going on. And that's, that says a lot about, and he's a practical guy, family man. Um, like I said, you know, he's a, he's a, an active participant in his community uh, and um, perfectly sensible and he took a perfectly sensible approach to it, but it still was was it was exciting for him, uh, a little bit, uh, you know, a little scary. He obviously hadn't mentioned here. He could have told me about this for a year, but it's not something I'm sure he's told much of anybody, uh, yeah, much absolutely. to anybody. And you know this perfectly well. That's that's that it's an experiencer response. And and I said, but. By sharing this, you got some understanding. I got some understanding. I loved hearing it. I loved the story. I loved your perspective. And there's, um, you know, and it it only adds, it adds to the entire community 
um, that that you've had this experience and that you've gone through it, uh, and and was a, you were able in your case to come through and and find a resolution, but um, it also it also adds to other discussions. So you know, orbs to me are are always a a catalyst for more more discussion. question on orbs uh you you gave a great segue to um how do i still share this experience that i'm having and how do i get more information about it even though i really don't want it out there so our next question comes from scott santa i don't know if you know him uh, another wonderful researcher and um he sends me books so he's automatically one of my most favorite people ever (laughs) and scott santa wanted to know uh where do most of you the younger generation get your ufo and alien information do you use the internet or books? Whatever the answer is, why? Yeah. And uh, I really loved this because he has such a fantastic library. And um, a, a big thing with Scott is that he wants to pass that on to younger researchers. So he sends me books. He sends Ryan Sprague books. Um, just a really wonderful way to, to share these things. And uh, I wanted to, to let uh, some of the other researchers out there know is that the younger generation, I guess, me, I don't know. We go to places on the internet, kind of like Reddit, where you can post something anonymously, like a question, and then other people will come in and give you additional information. So I stumbled upon a really fantastic thread for Missing 411, which is by David Paulitis. You know, Scott Santa and I always nerd out over Missing 411. He's my right. He's my buddy. <laughs> but um, I came across this really fantastic thread, which also cross-haired with one of the things that I'm researching, which was... Um, sort of this battle awareness where I was interviewing different soldiers that just knew something was going to happen. They could tell like within the next three days or so, like, I don't care how calm it is. I don't care what location we're in. I don't care how safe you think we are. Like something is going to happen. Sort of that precognizant type of thing. And I met one soldier that was precognizant anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds. And he said before an IED, IED is probably the wrong word, but a projectile missile, he said everything got extremely quiet. The voices around him just kind of faded out into a dull, a dull roar, and the, the lights around him also dulled out. And he was able to duck in time and kind of grab both of his buddies by the shirt scruffs and pull them down. And he said within that next 10 seconds, you know, the missile came in and would have done its uh, its intended purpose. And the, the really interesting thing is that there was a missing 411 story about... Um, uh, I think he was a Marine, but he had just come back from combat and he was with his girlfriend and he, he gave a really uh, telling story about walking through the woods and he thought that he was moving through a Bigfoot zone because he was seeing broken branches around five and six feet. You know, things had been kind of scrounged up, like they they had been pulling leaves off of stuff. And he said, I think that we're moving through a Bigfoot area. And she's like, oh, okay, whatever. Let's go on our hike. <laughs> and this is in the Appalachian, Appalachian from no matter where you're from, I don't know how to say it, Appalachian Mountains in one of those national parks. So he said that he had his senses already heightened from being in combat. So he was immediately aware of everything that was around him. You know, he was paying extra attention to things. And he said, right. I kept my girlfriend very squarely in front of me just because I, I knew that we were moving through an area that just did not feel right. 
So he said as he was moving through this area, something in the back of his neck just made him prickle. And he turned around and he said there was a woman that was wearing jeans and a red coat. And she was walking towards him as if she was on one of those moving walkways in an airport where she was walking at at the same speed as him, but she was just moving yards when he was moving feet and she was coming up on him fast. He turned around and because he was in um, some type of law enforcement, you know, they're trained to look for identifying marks, identifying features. He's like, she had no wrinkles, she had no moles, she had no freckles. It's like, it, it was just like you pulled a mannequin out of Sears and she was walking towards me. And he didn't say anything. He said he just turned around and he was super pissed that someone had been kind of trying to come up on his back. And she didn't react in any way except to kind of like put up one eyebrow of like, ah, you got me. And then he said from that point on, he just turned around to, to make sure that his girlfriend was okay. And by the time he turned back around, the woman was gone. And uh, the the community then jumped in and they asked him all, a bunch of wonderful questions. I'm going to try and find the thread and send it to you, Ryan. It's definitely worth a read. But um, they were able to come to the conclusion that he was precognizant and that moving through that area, not only did he sense something, but something was interested in him and that it was probably going to try and grab him if it could because it was coming up on him super fast uh and i I just got so giddy going through all this i'm like oh my god (laughs) so people make fun of reddit uh people make fun of internet forums and things like that for conspiracy theories and you know you can obviously say whatever you want and be anonymous but i think a majority of our current cases come from reddit and uh one of my favorite threads ever is about a, a national parks ranger that posted about all of his creepy search and rescue experiences, which just amazingly illustrated 411 in a different light and gave it different perspective. But um, Scott, I'm going to say the internet. And then, you know, occasionally us young people do read books, especially when you send them to us. But, you know, like Ryan Sprague, um, he has a wonderful podcast and he does Q&As. Um, a lot of people have encouraged me to have a podcast, but I feel like we kind of, we lean more on the internet because of the anonymity of it. I feel like we're more likely to post something in Google questions or Reddit or Tumblr or stumble upon and just, you know, make up a fake name and say, hey, this weird thing happened to me. Where can I go from here to research it? And I think that's why a lot of our, our MUFON cases and reports have dropped. You know, it's just that people don't want to deal with having that stigma and making that report and having kind of that thing tied to them when you can just throw it out there on the internet. That was a long drawn out answer, Scott. I'm sorry. The answer was the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'd, I'd have to agree. Um, because you know, for me is that I, I by definition of, uh, I'm a podcast fan, uh, and I was before I became a podcaster. Uh, but I'm very auditory, yeah. extremely auditory in terms of my learning. I absorb it wonderfully. And um, and for me, instead of jumping on to the, the audiobook uh, train, which is a wonderful way to absorb books for everybody that's just, you know, in a, in a society where we're all so busy, you know, whether yeah. it's commutes or uh, running errands and things of that nature. And there's plenty of people that do that. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, which is why, which is why Audible advertises on so many podcasts, you know, yeah. support, your, support your podcasters and subscribe to Audible. But, um, but, uh, for me, it was, it was, I love these stories and, and I, and I do come across them, but because the approach that what I'm more interested in really is the, the story of, I guess, behind the facts. And so many of the books that are out there are um, 
are research papers, right? They are historical accounts. They are uh, extremely well-researched. They're extremely well-written. They're tremendous accounts, and they're tremendous historical archives for what happened. But what gets missed on there oftentimes is um, why the why people hold the perspectives that they have, what the the sociological implications, the psych, psychological discussions that can happen, even even just a philosophical perspective of what does it mean if something is real? What does it mean if this happened? Um, why does a particular community or a particular individual view something the way they do? Um, and a, some, a similar experience is held in a completely different perspective by somebody else. Uh, what are the long-term ramifications for a, a, a society or a way of thinking, a viewpoint being held. Those are the things that, that of course, I'm trying to address. So when I'm, when I'm researching a topic, typically I can go to the Internet um, and get the, the basic story, the basic facts, uh, and or I jump to a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of phenomenal researchers out there, as we know, that, that do. They have gone through and have... Um, read extensively, and they've got tremendous libraries that I'm tremendously envious of. Uh, in Speaking in many of cases, yeah, we were talking yeah. about the Anomaly Archives up in Austin, which um, it's run by Stephen Miles Lewis. He goes by Smiles, and um, Ryan, you need to go there with me one day. You'll just stand there in shock and awe at all of this this wonderful collection of books and um, everything from Celtic lore to uh, Roman histories to UFO to psychology to trauma research. Like, I just stood in there and I was like, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be uh, volunteering up there this summer up in Austin. And um, not, not to beg for money or anything, but Anomaly Archives is, uh, is a nonprofit and it is run off of donations. So if you want to visit their Facebook page or if you want to visit anomalyarchives.org, you can purchase a membership, which means that you have access to their lending library. And it, to me, it's a fantastic investment, you guys. Like, I get on, get on up to Anomaly Archives. I, I think that you would fall in love there and never leave, just like me. Oh, I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Absolutely. Yes, if you're volunteering, I'm going to road trip. And um, yes, because libraries are a wonderful, wonderful place. In fact, um, uh, my daughter just put me through the, um, uh, what is it, the Harry Potter, the which house I would be. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, many of the questions, the answer ended up, because um, I was asking, what should my answer be? What do they think? And and both my daughter and my wife, oftentimes, if the answer was the library, you know, being in the library, getting caught in the library, doing something. You're a Ravenclaw, that, aren't you? I am Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess I called that. We called that one early. Uh, but yes, I was I was Ravenclaw. And um, so libraries are wonderful. Ironically, you know, ironic that. Those of us that are library nuts, you know, love the smell of a of an old book and oh, yeah. and uh, uh, just savor the Dewey Decimal System. Um, do jump to the internet, but that's because it's not all that bad. There is tons of research, right? People are putting it up there, um, uh, and and it's it's for it's quick. You know, when you're trying to do this research, whether it's because somebody has a question or you're trying to understand something and respond quickly to to help somebody or you're trying to put together content for a show episode, um, you just, you can't always get to the library. Uh, 
although there are even some good library resources, right? The libraries are catching on and, and digitizing books. And so I think eventually that question, the answer to that question is going to morph and blend into it really doesn't matter because those resources are going to be the same. Yeah. You're going to find them on a screen, whether you're doing it from your living room or you're going to a building and reading the book, you know, in hand. But, um, yeah, so that's I think that's the quick answer is it's it's the research and the stories. It's all there. Um, it, so much information is, is out there, whether it's YouTube videos people have have done for yeah. the information. Uh, and again, Reddit, like you were saying, Reddit has a ton of information. Uh, podcasts, YouTube videos are taking information from Reddit, hopefully with the permissions of the authors if it's available. In fact, one of my episodes is entirely built around a story that came from Reddit. Uh, I did a whole episode on um, the theory that Finland doesn't exist. And um, uh, fascinating, just fun story. And it all began on Reddit. Ah. So it's um, it's definitely a uh, that's definitely a good source of, of hearing these stories and hearing discussions. Well, um, I know that you and I are both very tired. And as much as I love talking to you, like, I swear to God, one day we just have to sit together for eight hours. <laughs> um, a lot of these questions that, that I got from people, um, they're, they're worried about the disambiguation. They're worried about what's going to happen. What's the world going to look like in the next six months? What do you, what do I think? And what do I think about this? And what do I think about, and, um, I think that that's a good way for us to kind of wrap this up is, you know, let's talk about what we think will happen and what the world will look like in the next six months. Um, maybe some ways to cope with that stress, some ways to just kind of stay positive and, and help us keep moving forward. As Einstein said, and I know you love that quote. Um, oh, I love it. Yes. It's, it's like a bicycle that in order to have balance, you need to keep moving forward. So um, let me open the floor to you, Ryan, about... Um, and your closing thoughts about what we're going to be doing and what the world will look like in the next six months. And if you have any advice, you know, just, just lay it on me. Give me some positive deets here, Ryan. I'm, I'm in a mood. Too many Absolutely. feels. <laughs> well, you know, and I've been thinking about this too, since we planned this discussion, because um, uh, one of my thoughts is that people's, uh, this is an, exp this is an experience uh, and people need to start thinking of it like that. This is something that is happening to them and it is affecting them very personally and it's affecting everybody very differently. Um, and it's something that, like we talked about at the very beginning, it's affecting some, impacting some lives more than others immediately. But in the long term, there is going to be effects and ramifications. Um, you know, th this is a conspiracy theory show, right? And it's talking about that, but it's not... So much of this is 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 unanswered, and there are so many questions. And what's going on, and and what's going to happen, and who's doing what, and where did it come from, and who caused it, and who messed up, and who's doing right. Uh, and so it's it's there's a source of a lot of worry, a lot of questions, a lot of anxiety. At the same time, much as we've experienced with previous events. Uh, in the U.S. and even around the world, whether it's terrorist attacks, um, natural disasters, uh, and things of that nature, we are watching people uh, rise to be the best of themselves, right? This is when we, we, while at the same time, point fingers and critical where we're 
where we find fear and frustration, we are celebrating uh, first responders and researchers and medical professionals um, and we're grocery store employees and uh, plumbers and um, utility workers and the list goes on and on of people that when when everyone's afraid that the world is collapsing around them, there are people there that are that are keeping things going to the point that all everybody has to worry about is when toilet paper is going to show up at the grocery store again. Um, not whether the lights are going to go out or the, the water's going to shut off or there's not going to be a, a hospital and a clinic to go to, um, uh, that there's not uh, somebody in the, uh, you know, in city hall making some decisions and trying to coordinate things. And so, you know, it's this wonderful dichotomy of of what's happening. But in terms of it being, like I said, an experience, people are afraid to share their thoughts, share their concerns, because <laughs> I've started calling them COVID, uh, COVID deniers. Uh, you know, there's people that just don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, and, it's, and it's hard because it's easier just to think that if it hasn't affected their lives at all. Uh, and then there are those that are extremely worried, perhaps more so than uh, than they need to be. And then everybody falling somewhere in between that. Uh, I can tell you honestly, uh, from the perspective of what I've seen, and I'm fortunate to be surrounded by uh, researchers that have have been studying this arena, microbiologists, and, and that that have been looking at that sort of thing. That yes, there's questions, and yes, there's typical concern. Um, it's going to impact us, but. People are are looking into this and understanding it, and there's going to be some surprises, uh, you know. The, and and the world is full of opportunists. My, um, a lot of conspiracies ultimately are rooted in that. People that aren't that aren't conspiring at all, simply taking the opportunity to take advantage of a situation, um, not necessarily nefariously, but definitely um, opportunistically. And so we'll see some of that, and you have to get through that because um, the flip side is that if you look around and you you pay attention, um, you can find the the positives in this, the connections that people are making now, the the connections that communities are making now, um, and uh, the resilience that we find in ourselves and in others. Uh, so you know it, we'll get we'll get past this. Um, and and we'll recover this it's i i don't i don't think this is the collapse of civilization um the world has gotten through wars and pandemics before uh but it will shape it will shape things we're going to see some big changes uh and um i guess from you know again politically economically uh societally you're going to see changes we we're going to react in some of those in some cases it's going to be because we're smarter in some cases, it's going to be because other people um, found it advantageous and profitable. Um, and then and then the rest of us that are just trying to get through through our days, um, make sure that we can uh, pay the bills and that our kids grow up to be uh, normal, well-adjusted members of society. Yeah, so, so that's, that's the key. I, I had a very cynical approach to this right at the beginning. Um, I've been doing this multi-part series on pandemic panic. Yeah. Uh, I, it all started cause I've been fascinated with the Spanish flu. Uh, I've looked into that history. I've dug into world war one history and there's a lot of questions about that a hundred years later. 
So there's going to be a lot of questions about this for the next century. Yeah. And and people are going to be trying to figure out what this means and how to use it and how to learn from it uh, or how to uh, take advantage of it. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, just I've I've gotten to see so much brilliant research and effort coming out of this that um, you know yes the government's throwing money around right it, it, they they initially tossed around about eight billion dollars yeah um, and it was specifically for research for this and um, I'm actually seeing some of that money going towards good legitimate research it's it's impressive and, and i know the people that are doing that and that's the key is that there's real people behind these big headlines that are doing real things uh and trying to trying to do positive things to to help um so um so yeah it i guess the the key is optimism and it's it's easy to say um but it's it's going to be tougher to get through we're going to see this through it, this is going to keep up through April, maybe through May. Right. And there is going to be I I'm predicting it now here there's going to be a second wave in the fall. Yeah. And um it it's just it's going to be the pattern. It may hit different areas of the world uh at different kind of different times or different severities, but uh yeah, it's just it's not short. This isn't a hurricane, this isn't a tornado, this isn't an earthquake. Um and so it really, it's going to amount to, we all got to lean on each other, you know? And I, I, I agree with you. I'll, I'll pick it up here, Ryan, is that it's just epidemics and crisis. It's, it has a way of tearing us apart and it also has a brilliant way of bringing us together. And uh, this hit me especially hard with all of the school closures um, without giving away too much. You know, I am an employee of a school. And I'm not in a salaried position. You know, I work hourly, which means that if you're not there punching the clock, you don't get paid. And the schools are closed until the end of April. You know, um, basically we went on spring break and it was like, hey, don't come back. We don't know when or where. And um, we're still in meetings and deliberations about whether or not the hourly staff will be not only paid, but retained. So, um you know, being a single mom, that just really threw me for a horrible tailspin. And people are, are asking, like, are you okay? Are you worried? Do you have a job? And I just have to answer, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. And um, one of the things is that I, I really enjoy reaching out to kids that have anxiety issues. Because people so often forget when you're in high school how incredibly stressful that is and how much change is happening to you all at once and how many expectations people have of you. You know, we, we are so easy and quick to make fun of high school kids and to, to put so many negative things upon them. And I'm like, you know, you don't see these kids. You don't, you don't see them crying in the hallway because they're worried about finals. You don't see them pulling all-nighters to study like I do. So I, uh, I had a special relationship with one kid, and he, I called him my favorite little lawyer because he was only a freshman, but he was always, like, button-up suit and tie, and he always had his, his little uh, briefcase with him all the time. And I'm like, dude... Do you even know how to kid? Do you know how to calm down and just relax? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. So I um, I took something from my friend, and she said that it came from the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, that uh, Netflix show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I looked at this kid, and I said, hey. I said, do you think that you can make it through the next 10 seconds? And he was like, what? I said, do you think that you can make it through the next 10 seconds? He's like, yeah, but I don't see the point. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, man. So now that okay. we've counted out those 10 seconds, you've, you've already made it. Good job. Do you think you can make it through the next 10 seconds? He's like, yes, of course. I said, what about the next 10 seconds after that? He said, 30 seconds? Yeah, that, that's no problem. And I said, what if you took your day 
just 10 seconds at a time. What if you can just sit there and take a breath and say, you know what, in this next 10 seconds, I'm going to do one more math problem. I'm going to write out one more sentence of my paper. You know what, this next 10 seconds, I'm going to take those 10 seconds off and just take a big deep breath and look out the window. I said, do you think that you can take your day 10 seconds at a time? Just try it. He said, that sounds really hard and I've never thought of it that way. And I said, just try it. And I, I, I have a therapist, which I think that anyone that deals with um, counseling and uh, people with issues, they, they need to have their own therapist. Every good therapist has their own therapist. And she said, you know, what you did with that kid for you was a five minute conversation and he'll probably remember it for the rest of his life. Yes. So, yeah, I would agree. I'm right there with you, everyone. I'm right there with you in the uncertainty and the fear and, you know, what do I do? You know, do I shelter in place? Do I try and run the family? Do I try to exist out in the woods somewhere? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a plan. I don't know if I have a job. I just don't know. So what I do with all of my training and all of my experience, I'm just one simple person taking my day 10 seconds at a time. And I just want you to stay calm. I want you to be logical. And if you start to feel terrified like I do when I'm in a grocery store or I'm trying to get, you know, milk for my daughter or I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to pay my phone bill, just take a deep breath and ask yourself if you can make it through the next 10 seconds. And if you have to take this entire pandemic 10 seconds at a time, no matter how long it takes, I just want you to know that I'm right there with you.